Hey, I thought it would be kind of fun to start with. I I've ran across these bulletin bloopers this week, and I, I just thought, hey, you know, since this title of the sermon is Happiness Is, I thought maybe you might want to start with a smile. So these are actual bulletin bloopers for churches. Here's the first one. Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. Please use the large double door at the side entrance. Low self-esteem support group will meet Thursday at 7.30. Please use the back door. <laughs> During the absence of our pastor, we enjoyed the rare privilege of hearing a good sermon when J.F. Stubbs supplied our pulpit. Uh, Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She's also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Nelson's sermons. <laughs> And the last one, Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist. Come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. All right. Well, we're going to start a new series this morning, and it's called The Message of the Master. We're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus spoke not only to his disciples, but many who gathered around the Sea of Galilee. And uh, we're going to be walking through a lot of the Sermon on the Mount all the way to Easter time, so kind of fasten your seatbelts. But I was trying to pray about what God wanted me to share in the next series, and I thought, what better thing than to listen to Jesus preach, okay? Now, be careful. It's not me, but what I'm trying to say is this is his message to all of us. And he starts with the Beatitudes, as you know, in Matthew chapter 5. And if you go to chapter 5 with me, we're going to read it in just a minute. But I think it's fascinating here when he talks about be attitudes, it's always been given. And so I thought it would be interesting to define what an attitude is. And what an attitude is, it, it, it means it, it's, it's a mindset, it's a philosophy, it, it's a, a paradigm that we live by. And so these eight paradigms that we're going to read about here are what Jesus tells us to be, in order to be blessed, or in order to be happy, you need to uh, uh, adhere to these eight paradigms, these eight philosophies. And so this morning, we're going to go through all of them this morning. So it's going to be a bit of a ride here, but I want to unpack this this morning. And I thought, is it really right to preach all the Beatitudes in one sermon? And I thought, well, Jesus preached Beatitudes in part of a sermon, so I guess I can get away with this. So we're going to jump through the, the Beatitudes here this morning and, uh, and talk about whether these are representative in your life so that you too might be blessed. So let's read. And uh, we're in chapter 5, and, and just to set the stage here, Jesus had already established an incredible reputation. Uh, he was healing the sick, and he was uh, you know, making the lame to walk, and, and he was preaching uh, incredible with a great authority, and so crowds were gathering about him. In fact, we notice in chapter 4 that people came all the way from Syria. Think about that. They were coming from Syria to hear Jesus preach and to be healed and to find out who this guy really was. They were coming from Jerusalem. And if you know the trick from, uh, trip from Jerusalem to Galilee, it's probably about, I think, 80 or 90 miles. So I mean, these people came a long ways to hear what Jesus had to say. So chapter 5. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now when he says blessed, if you kind of look at the translation here, basically what he's saying is happiness is found in these paradigms. And I'm wondering this morning if you would be willing to walk through these with me and sort of use these eight basic beatitudes as a way to discover what your happy meter is, okay? So if you, as we walk through these, I'm hoping that as we unpack these that you'll be able to identify with these. And I, and I want to make them as simple as I can. So I've used various translations to kind of help unpack this. I don't know about you, but I've read through the Beatitudes I don't know how many hundred times, and I still don't maybe get them very well. But as we unpack these, hopefully they'll be uh, broken down into something very relevant that you can understand. So let's start with the first one. He says in the first one is, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now in the New Living Translation, it says, God blesses those who realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is given to them. Uh, the message, which is a paraphrase, says this, You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Now, Jesus starts with this because it's foundational to all the other Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's saying, listen, you need to realize that you are spiritually bankrupt before you can ever be happy. Until we realize that we will never be happy without Jesus, we're in trouble. The point is this, what Jesus is saying, you have to have Jesus as the foundation of your life. And until you realize that spiritually you are bankrupt, that you are, when you are, immediately when you are born, you are born with a sinful heart. And that you deserve basically eternal punishment. And because of that, you need to come to a point in your life to say, I can't do this on my own. I can't make this happen. I can't be good enough to inherit eternal life. I can't be good enough for God to really accept me. I need to accept Jesus into my heart and life. I need to recognize that I am spiritually bankrupt. I'm at the end of my rope. And we will never be happy until we have Jesus in our life. And some of you that might be sitting here this morning are trying to do it your way without Jesus. And I'm going to share with you this morning, you will never be happy without Jesus in your life. Amen? Well, there's at least one person that's happy this morning. Okay. And so this principle number one is, again, we must realize we are spiritually bankrupt before we can ever be happy. And so what Jesus is saying to these folks on this hillside by the Sea of Galilee, look, until you understand that you need Jesus, till you understand that you can't get away with life without having a spiritual and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's foundational. Here's the second one. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He said, how can you be happy when you're mourning? I mean, that was my question. And, and when you mourn, it, it, what, it, what it is, it... Let me just read the message before I do that. You are blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. What, what, what Jesus is saying, he said, listen, 
Until we are willing to make our relationship with Jesus our number one priority, we will never be happy. You see, when we talk about mourning, it's usually because of there's some loss, right? There, that we're, we've lost a loved one or we've lost a job or we've lost our health. There's some sort of mourning process that when we let those things go, and those things you would think would make you mourn. But in reality, God has this twist on it where he says, listen, when you realize that the most important thing in your life is me and your relationship to me, you can count all those other things a loss because of knowing me is the best part. Does that make sense? Paul said that. He said, I counted all lost, all this stuff in my life as rubbish because that's all in comparison to knowing you, I count it as rubbish in my life. And so scripture tells us too that if we want to gain life, we need to lose it. And so what he's saying here is, look, Jesus needs to be the number one priority in your life. It's not your family. It's not your success. It's not your person, the person of yourself. The most important thing in your life is Jesus. And you're never going to be happy until he's on the throne of your life. Until you're willing to lose it all for the sake of Christ, you're never going to be happy. So blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Okay. Here's principle or blessing or uh, beatitude number three. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That seems kind of odd when you read that. The New Living Translation said, God blesses those who are gentle and lowly, for the whole earth will belong to them. That seems to have a little more clarity. And then if you read the message, it says, You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Don't you like that? So what he's saying here is this. He's saying, listen, meekness is a humbleness. It's an attitude that we have in life that I have essentially nothing to prove and nothing to lose. I'm not entitled. I don't have to fight for my rights. I can have this attitude of contentment day in and day out because I know that one day I will inherit the entire earth. What does he mean by that? Well, someday scripture tells us that when he has a new heaven and new earth, we're going to reign with him on this earth. I'm going to inherit the whole earth. Besides that, he talks about the idea of inheriting a crown of righteousness. He talks about having a place that he's preparing for us. As he told the disciples, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. We have paradise to look forward to. So why get all bent out of shape? Why cling to your rights? Why be this person that always has to have it your way? And so basically he's saying is this. Happy people have nothing to prove and nothing to lose, and in fact, have everything to gain ultimately in their life. So meekness often is associated with lowliness, and yet it really means that if I'm really a meek person, this this person that has nothing to prove, nothing to lose, there's a contentment that goes with that, a happiness, a, a, a joy, just saying, you know what, I don't need that. It's okay because I have who? Jesus in my life. Here's the the, uh, fourth beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, what he's saying here is this. If my ultimate desire is to do the right thing based upon God's guidance, I will be a lot more satisfied and happier with my life. 
You, you know people, in fact, maybe that's where you're at today. You know what God wants you to do. You know what God is telling you. You know there are guidelines here in Scripture that he lays out that we need to be obedient to. And when we're disobedient, when we're not doing the right things, we're not happy people. I mean, you, you know people right now who, who are basically Christian people who have made some sort of profession of faith, but they're living their lives outside of God's will. They're doing things that they're basically rebellious or disobedient. And you know when you watch them, you know they're not a happy person. You've probably been there. How many times have you fallen away in your own life where you've kind of backslidden and you start doing things that you know are really not right? And then you wonder why we're not happy. We're not content. We're not, we don't find joy in our lives. And so this fourth principle is nothing should make us happier than to do the right thing. Don't you feel good when you do the right thing? Doesn't it make you feel blessed and encouraged to say, you know what? Thank you, Lord. I did it. I followed your, I followed what you asked me to do. And there's a, there's a great joy in doing the right thing. Here's the fifth beatitude. He said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Now, the, the message says this. I like it. It says, you're blessed when you care. Because at the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. What is he saying? I think what the Lord is saying, you will never be happier than when you're showing mercy to somebody else. Have you ever noticed that? Doesn't it give you great joy to come alongside somebody and be an encouragement? To serve somebody? To get out of yourself in your own little bubble, in your own little world, and to show, give something to somebody else that perhaps maybe they don't deserve. That's what mercy's all about. And you give that to them, and I find great joy in that act. It, they may not even say thank you. They may not even respond, but I find great joy in serving. I, don't, I know when I... Uh, do ministry here at the church or, or out in the workplace or, or alongside deputies when I'm out with the sheriff's department or people that are out there in the community. And, and, and I, I come home and I, I tell Lynn, said, how did your day go, hon? And I said, you know, it was a great day. It was, it was so much fun. Why? Because I had a chance to maybe come alongside buddy and show some mercy, show some encouragement. And even though maybe they didn't accept it or, or maybe they didn't respond all the ways I really liked it, but man, it was so fun to be used. It was so fun to, 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 to give and to make a sacrifice. And so the principle that I write down here is this. Our happiest moments are often when we give of ourselves to others. Don't you agree with that? Haven't you found that a, a great joy? I mean, you just got through with Christmas, and isn't it great to be able to give? And that's what I think the Lord is saying. He said, when you're merciful, you'll be shown mercy, maybe not by that person, but the Lord will show you mercy because you're acting like him. Does that make sense? And when you show mercy, there's great joy in that. So that's the fifth beatitude. Now he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What I kind of define this is this. The happiest people are those who live a life of integrity. See, now Jesus is digging into the inner part of man. He said, listen, your heart has to coincide with your actions. If you're not walking this consistent life where what you are on the inside in your private life is coinciding with your outside, you're not going to be a happy person. 
You're just not. And so the principle here is happiness is seeing the positive impact for Christ because of our walk of integrity. Here's what I mean by that. He said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Well, does that mean you're actually going to see visibly God? No, but if you walk with a heart of integrity, a pure heart, you're going to see God at work in the lives of other people and in your own life. Does that make sense? You're going to see that that God is doing something because of the life you're leading. You're going to have an impact. And when you have an impact, that makes you happy. It's it's encouraging to know that, that when you as a mom and a dad who love the Lord and are walking in a consistent way and your kids are watching you, that it is making a difference in those kids' lives. When you walk with integrity in the workplace and there's other people that watch you and see this, this cohesiveness in your temperament and the way you act, you're hoping that it's going to have an impact in the way they respond to you and that's going to see God at work in your life. Does that make sense? So he's saying, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those whose motives coincide with their actions, where their inner being coincides with their outsides. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. What did Jesus bring? He says, peace I give you, peace I leave with you, right? Jesus brought peace. Jesus became the bridge for us to have peace with God. And so he says, you need to be like Jesus. You need to be a peacemaker. And so He says, the happiest people are those who find ways to protect unity in all relationships. That's what he's asking. He says, when you are blessed, when you show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight, that's what the message says. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You know people who sow disunity? Do you know people like that? Critical people, pugnacious people, people that have strong opinions, people who are super black and white, and so they come into a situation or an organization or a relationship, and it's got to be their way or the highway. Have you ever noticed people like that? And those people sow disunity, but I also find that those people are often the most unhappy people I've ever met. Because they don't know how to find compromise. They don't know how to find middle ground. They don't know how to figure out how to to validate one another and understand one another and create this bond of unity. How many churches do you know that are disunified? And it's so sad because they're totally ignoring this one special attitude that God is saying, look, if you're a peacemaker, you're the most like me. You're sons of God. So are you a happy person? Are you sowing disunity in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships? Or are you finding some middle ground? Are you listening? Are you validating? Are you understanding? Are you building a sense of unity, loving one another and understanding and putting other people before yourself? Here's the eighth. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all things of evil against you because of me. You say, how am I supposed to be happy about that? Okay, let's keep going. Here's what the message says. This is really powerful. You are blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. 
The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit who? Me or Jesus. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. Isn't that cool? You can be glad when that happens. Give cheer then, even, for though they don't like it, I do, and heaven applauds. Isn't that cool? And know that you are in good company. My prophets or witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. So you're saying, wait a minute. Here's what I like about this. If we're living the life, if we're living this consistent life, in other words, we're modeling, if you will, these other Beatitudes, we're going to come across people who are going to find it very offensive. They're going to find it convicting. And, And when that happens, instead of us feeling like, oh, we're rejected and we're not having an impact, perhaps maybe what the real deal is, is that they're really being convicted by who we are and what we stand for. And by the way, that should make us happy. You get it? It should make us feel like, you know what? It makes me happy because I I feel a little bit more like Jesus. I, I I can feel a little bit more like those prophets of old. But it's a point where we need to make sure that our persecution is coming for what? For righteousness, for for doing the right things. And when that happens and you realize that you're trying to model that consistency and that love of Jesus in your life, you know, a lot of times we just feel like, no, we're not getting anywhere. We're not making an impact because they just seem to be angry. They seem to respond negatively to what we're saying. And in reality, what, what I think what Jesus is saying is that, you know what? They may be under conviction. There may be a lot going on beyond the surface that that you don't realize. And you should rejoice in that. I mean, was Jesus persecuted? Absolutely. So happy people are those who know that the truth is having an impact even though there may be resistance. So we looked at these, these Beatitudes this morning and you say... Wow, you just ran through those pretty quickly. But I'm hoping as you look at these Beatitudes that that these are real paradigms that you have a conviction about and you really want to adopt. You know, one of the ones that, that I struggled with as I read through this was blessed are the meek. You know, it's hard for, for, for me and I'm sure it is for many of us that we always have seem to have something to prove, Right? or something to lose. And we're always thinking about my rights or the things that I'm entitled to. I'm entitled to a, a response here. I'm entitled to a thank you. I'm entitled to this, entitled to that. And, and, and I feel like sometimes we, we struggle with that. And I know that that's one of the things, that this area of contentment can often come up and bite me. And I don't know where, what's biting you this morning. But as you look at these eight different principles, what's your happy meter like? You know, which ones do you feel like you need to kind of wrestle with this morning? Because, frankly, there are times in some of these areas that we're not very happy. So my first question as I bring this message to a close is this. How happy are you? When people see you on the street, when your family sees you from day to day, do they see a happy person? 
They see somebody who recognizes that they're blessed. And I, and I want to ask you, you know, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life and you've recognized that you're at the end of your rope and that you can't get to heaven with your own good goodness and that it took Jesus to die on the cross to save you from your sins, if you can't get to that point in your life, these others aren't going to be manifested very well in your life because that's foundational. If you don't have Jesus, you're never going to be happy. Amen? You're never going to be happy. I had the privilege of being along with a deputy this past week, and we went to a house where there was a family fight, and there was a bitter fight between mom and the daughter, and the daughter was out in the front yard crying her eyes out, and she never stopped crying the whole time we were there. She was just totally out of control, and I kept asking her, I said, what, what are the issues? And she said, you know, my, my mom, she doesn't care, she doesn't know, she doesn't understand, she doesn't get it, there's no sympathy around here, I can't get any sympathy, and you know, busy, the deputy was in with the mom, and she was saying, you know, she doesn't get it, she doesn't understand, you know, and it was just this bitter fight between the two of them, and I, I got her alone, and I said, you know, I won't use her name, but I just said, you know, do you know Jesus? Do you have Jesus in your life? Do you have a relationship with him? Because I'm going to tell you something, whether you're 17 or whatever, whatever your mom is, there's only one person that's going to make you happy. There's only one person that's going to understand you. He's always going to be there for you. There's always going to be misunderstanding with people, but, but the Lord is the one that always understands you. And, and, and um, she was so out of control. I don't know if she got it or not, but I think, you know, that's the point. How happy are you? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Here's the second one, and I've already identified mine, but I would like for you to identify yours. Which of those Beatitudes needs a little work in your life? I mean, if you don't know which one, ask your husband or ask your wife or ask your kids. They'll tell you, right? Which one is really robbing you of being a happy person? Third, have you ever thought about the idea that if you were to actually take a risk and share Jesus with somebody and they reject you, that they might actually be under conviction? They might actually feel a little guilt or perhaps, you know, their, their negative response might be something that is really an issue in their life and not you and it's not about you. It's about them and where they're at with God. And so I guess what, what I see here is that we're oftentimes afraid to share our faith with people because we think we're going to get something thrown back at us or pushed back or in our face. But we have to realize that what we share, if we're sharing with integrity and consistency in our lives, that God's not going to let that just simmer and, 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 and have no avail in somebody's life. In other words, we, we need to take those risks, I think, recognizing that, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be resistant to the, to the, the message of Christ. I mean, what did Jesus have to deal with for, for crying out loud? You know, I mean, I mean, he dealt with that. But we should rejoice in that and take it that heaven is applauding. You know, that's what I love about the message. He's applauding that we're taking that risk, that we're taking that step. 
And I'm wondering if that's the reason why we don't share our faith, because we're so afraid of the pushback, when in reality, maybe that's conviction. And maybe for some of us, we're afraid to share because we know that our life is not have a pure heart. In other words, what's on the inside and what's on the outside are we reflected two different things. And maybe it's time to get that together. And we call that integrity, right? Where they're both integrated and they're both operating on a consistent level. So those are the Beatitudes. I hope I've been able to unpack those enough way for you to have a sense of relevance as you read through these. Because for a long time for me, I'd read through these and they sound spiritual and they sound good, but I'm not sure if I get them. But I hope you got them today. And we're going to go on this journey with Jesus and we're going to let him hopefully use his teaching to teach us. And I'll try to be a translator as best that I can as we go on this journey together. Let's pray together this morning. There may be somebody here this morning, if you were really honest with yourself, I mean, let's be honest. You're not very happy. You're not very happy because perhaps you've never come to a point in your life where you say, you know what? I've tried to do it all my own way and it ain't working. And this morning, you realize that, you know what? Maybe I should jump in here and be poor in spirit and recognize that I'm spiritually bankrupt. Without Jesus, I do not have my security and eternity in heaven. I don't know what the abundant life is really all about. And this morning, you want to take that step. You want to start there because that's where Jesus started. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is what the kingdom of heaven. You have that as your inheritance. And this morning, you want to do that. And if that's the attitude of your heart, it's not necessarily the words, but it's the attitude of your heart and say, God, I, I just need you. Jesus, I know you died for my sins. I, I know you, you, you want to run my life. And I've been doing my own thing, and I haven't been happy for a long time. And today, I want to start with you. If that's your desire this morning, you can consider it done. If that's what you really want, you can go on this journey of being blessed. I challenge you to take that, that opportunity this morning. But most of you here have taken that step in your life. And I pray that this morning, you would take the opportunity to do a little gut check on your happy meter and to see perhaps where you need some work Lord, I thank you for this sermon that you preached over 2,000 years ago to a whole bunch of folks. And God, I only hope that this morning had enough of an impact that you had when you spoke these words. The crowd gathered, and essentially they wanted to show, but they got the truth instead. I pray for that person this morning who's not happy. I pray that they would go on a journey and look at these various paradigms and begin to really rejoice and work hard and know that you, by your grace 
that you can make them a happy person. So thank you, Lord, for these truths. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.